Hey, good morning. Let me also say happy Father's Day. If you are wishing somebody a happy Father's Day today, I would encourage you to follow that through and say, and here's why. Like, if you're thanking or acknowledging a father that's your father, someone you know that's a father personally, I would say, and here's why. And, and I really love it. A couple of people today wished me a happy Father's Day, and they said, and here's what I see about you being as a father. And I'm like, boy, are you way off? <laughs> but I appreciate the compliment. Uh, but uh, like, but uh, like my dad texted me this morning, happy Father's Day. So I was like, ah, he beat me to the punch. So I texted him a funny little image back and said, right back at you. And then I said, no, really, really, happy Father's Day. And here's why I think you're a good dad. And you've always been a good dad. So thank you for that. And so I would encourage you, if you're doing it today, don't just say happy Father's Day. Like, tell them why. And that's true for any holiday or anytime you're wishing somebody a happy birthday or saying thank you to somebody. Like, tell them why. Uh, there's something to that. Well, uh, let me ask you to think about this. Kind of think about the last week of your life. When was the last time you prayed? Now, I'm not trying to... Like, we're not going to ask you to say it out loud, and don't say, like, five minutes ago when the guy was praying, like, I prayed with him. Like, before you came here today, think about the last time in, in, in this week that you prayed. Who did you pray for? What did you pray for? And when was it? If you were like any other American, uh, research tells us that four out of five adults, about 84%, claim they had prayed in the last week. What's interesting about that survey, which is, this, and it's, that number has stayed the same since 1993 when they've been tracking this with uh, the Barnard organization has with research. This does not, it's not limited to Christians. It's just the average person on the street. Do you pray? When's the last time you prayed? In the last week, four out of five, 84%. It's not changed in the last, uh, since 1993. U.S. News and Internet, uh, an Internet site called BeliefNet funded a poll to figure out, okay, for these people that are praying, who are they praying for? How often are they praying? What are they praying for? They wanted some specifics. 75% of that group that said we prayed once in the last week, 75% were Christian in their faith. Some of them were of not any kind of faith, and they prayed. Some were different faiths. 64% said they prayed more than once a day. 56% said they prayed most often for a family member, while just 3% said they prayed often for strangers. 100% said they prayed every time they saw a police car pull behind them. I'm just kidding. That wasn't in there. And it didn't, you know, they didn't do research in that. Hey, when the professor stands up and says, hey, pop quiz today, like they didn't ask those people how often they prayed. They kept it to those. But think about yourself for a minute. Like, how often do you pray? Who do you pray for and what do you pray about? Chances are, uh, and one of the things that the, the, the research said is 79% said they pray most often at home. 5% said they only prayed in a house of worship like this. Only 5% said this is the only time I prayed. 79% said I pray most often at home. If I were being honest and you were to ask me when's the last time I prayed, it was recently. Who'd you pray for? It's for me. Like, I was like, God, I need some help here. I like pray. It was very me-centered prayer. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, God encouraged us to cast our cares upon him. We're supposed to make our... Uh, needs known to God, that, that kind of prayer is okay. But today I want to talk about maybe how it is we pray for others. I want to ask you the question, who do you pray for most often, aside from yourself? How often do you pray for them, and what exactly are you asking God to do? I'll never forget one time, I used to be a chaplain for a hockey team, and one of the players said to me, I pray before every game, and I pray the Lord's Prayer. I was like, man, that's awesome. What if God answered that prayer? What do you think would happen? He's like, I have no idea. And now he's kind of nervous, like, what will happen? Like, what have I gotten myself into? Am I, do I got to go be a missionary in Africa? Like, like, what's happening now? 
Like, he got real worried. Sometimes we don't think about what would it look like if God actually answered this prayer. I encourage you to think about for the people that you're praying for most often, what are you asking God to do? And if you could pray just one prayer for one person in your life and you knew God would answer it, what would you ask him to do? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us some insight. This summer, we're spending uh, the summer in Ephesians, and we're calling it a Dig In and Mark It Up series. We want to do a deep dive in this letter Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus, and it's been forwarded on to us, this church in Lubbock, us Lubbockites, us Lubbockonians, us 806ers, or whatever you want to call us. Like, God has forwarded this letter on to us because it's got insight of what it looks like to love God and live life well. And as we do that, Paul, the Paul, Apostle Paul gives us some insights. And what we're encouraging you to do is dig it and mark it up, not just in here as we study it, but on your own. We want you to read the Bible alone, on your own. Here's the problem. For many of us, we don't know how to do that, so we're trying to equip you a little bit each week, and we've given you different tips. One of the tips we want to give you this week is very simple. As you read the Bible alone, when we ask you to do this, when you read the Bible alone, don't read the Bible alone. Let me explain what I mean by that. A lot of times, if, we're, if you're doing what we ask, and we're saying, go read the Bible on yourself on an average Monday, read the Bible alone. What we're asking you is don't read it alone. Now, one way we could say that is there are lots of others who have put invested time and hours and study into this that have created resources that can be helpful. I know a lot of you here use the Life Application Study Bible. Man, that's got great insights. It's got maps and historical insights and application insights. They've done research to say, what does this mean and where else does it say it, like a concordance or a dictionary? Things like that are helpful. So that's something where you cannot read it alone when you're reading alone, but that's actually not what I'm talking about. When you read the Bible alone, it's been said of the Bible, it's the only book that every time you read it, the author is always present. That when you read the Bible alone, you're not reading the Bible alone. God is present with you, wanting to engage with you. A couple of weeks ago, we, we uh, mentioned this verse, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that says, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful, and it goes on to say what it's useful for, but that phrase, God-breathed, means God-initiated. He spoke this. It's his truth. And so he was invested, but he didn't just say it, say, did you get it down? Okay, I'm out. He is still involved, and if you're a follower of Jesus, when you gave your life to him, he gave his life to you through his Holy Spirit is always with you. You are the house, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's with you. So when you read the Bible alone, don't read the Bible alone. Involve him in the process. What happens a lot of times is I show up to read the Bible, and I want to use it for, for a need in my life, and that's great. It's useful. It tells us that. But if I show up with, with an agenda and say, I need to find an answer to this question, or I need help in this area, please do that. But if you do that, you might be limiting what God could do in your life as you engage this. Think of it this way. In my life, I know what's happened in the past, and I've got my perspective on it, sometimes others' perspective on it. I know my present as best I can. I, I have plans for the future, but I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. The future is unpredictable. God knows my past better than I know myself. He's been involved with that. He knows my present reality better than I know it. And he knows what nobody else does. He knows what's happening in the future. So when I'm engaging with him, I have somebody who has better insight into my life than I do. And if I just want to use the Bible for my agenda, I might be missing out on something God has planned or some insight he wants to give or preparation or training he wants to deliver. So C.S. Lewis had this to say when we use the Bible. When we use the Bible, just kind of using it for our purposes, we treat it as assistance for our own activities. What if God has activities 
planned in your life? What, he's, what if he's doing something in your life that when you engage the scriptures, he goes, I want to show you something that you have no idea how this makes sense now, but it will someday. Or what if there's a truth I want to give you, but right now you're looking for something else. That's great. Use the Bible in your life. But when you use it only for your own assistance, you might be limiting it. The author is present with you. And he wants to shed light on things, to give you insight into your life and how it works. Jesus said it this way in John 14. He said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, when he said this, this was before the cross, before the empty tomb, and so this was before the Holy Spirit was, was given at the day of Pentecost in, the, in Acts chapter 2, now available to everybody that gives their life to him, who will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is your advocate, your teacher, who when you engage the scripture, you might be reading it alone, please do that, but you're not reading it alone. So involve him. Pray, ask him for insight. Say, God, you know me better than I know me. What is it you want me to see? What is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to know? In fact, what I would like to do is just pause right now as we're about to read a passage in Ephesians and ask God to do that in our lives together. I may be teaching, but I pray that the Holy Spirit, that God would be the primary teacher as we study through this passage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open up the Bible, help us not just to use it for our own activities, but to let you use it in our life to guide us into truth, to knowing you personally, and to the plan you have for our life, of what you're doing in our life and what you want to do through our life and in the lives of people around us. God, I pray that you would be our teacher today, and you'd use this time and use your truth in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't own a Bible, you can own one electronically. Electronically, you can get one through the Live Oak app. I'd be happy to buy you a Bible. I think engaging the Bible alone is incredibly important. And as we study it today, uh, I'll have mine up on the screen. I'll share it with you. But in Ephesians 1, Paul gives us this model for a prayer. He shows us like what we can pray for others and how we can do that to help us understand how he's at work in our lives. He doesn't just show us how to pray. He actually shows us what he's up to in our lives and how we can join him in that agenda in the lives, our lives and the lives of those around us. In Ephesians 1, verse 15 and following, the Apostle Paul says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, so when it says that phrase, for this reason, that tells us there is something he just said that's informing what he's about to say. Anytime you see something like for this reason or therefore or so that, always look to what's right before it. And what's right before it was what we talked about last week in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and following. Verse 3, he gives us this great promise that's true for you if you're a follower of Jesus. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what he says he's done for you. And actually, verses 3 through the whole passage is this one big, long, run-on sentence. In English, they've cleaned it up and put in some periods and some places where you can take a breath and go on. But when Paul wrote this, it would have made a grammar teacher go crazy because he just gives this one big, long, run-on sentence, praising God. It's a prayer. But it's also a statement of who God is and what he's done for us and what we have in Christ. And in this, all these things that are underlined and highlighted are things he said, this is your benefit. This is the blessing God has for you. What's also in this passage, though, is 13 times the Apostle Paul, I think it's 13 times, the Apostle Paul mentions Jesus personally, by name, or in pronoun form of saying, in Christ, this is what we have. This is what in Christ 
he has done for us and who we are because of what he's done. And we made the point last week. Paul is so excited and he's praising God and telling people who they are in Christ. He's so excited because the starting point for knowing who you are is not for looking at who you are. The starting point for knowing who you are is looking at who Jesus is and who you are because of that. If you want to know who you are, start with your identity in Christ because that's the key to everything God has planned for you. And he's so excited, he does this one big long prayer of praise and a run-on sentence. And then he gets to verse 15 and he says, for this reason, which is everything he just read, and he does another big one long run-on sentence. In English, there's some pauses and periods and they break it up. But it's one big, Paul is very excited. He's excited for what he's experienced personally. He's excited what's possible for the people around him. And he says, because of all that, I can't wait to pray for you and tell you how I'm praying because how what I know God's doing in your life. And if that first part was a prayer of, prayer of praise, this is a prayer of petition or intercession. He's asking for something for someone. And he says, for this reason, here's what I'm asking. It says this. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, what that tells us is he's not praying for people who don't know Jesus. There were lots of those in Ephesus, but he's writing to the church, God's holy people in Ephesus and at other churches. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I've, he goes, this is who I'm writing to, but also this is what I've heard about you. I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. He talks about vertical and horizontal. He says, I've heard two things about you. Reputation, rumor is, observation has it that you guys have a big faith and a big God that Jesus is the center of, and you have a big love for all of God's people. Basically, he says, I see the great commandment at work in your life. Loving God and loving people. Your faith is growing. Your faith in Jesus is growing, and your love for people is growing. And if you want to know, how do I know I'm really growing spiritually? Don't measure your activity, but measure, measure how much this stuff is just showing up in your life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the evidence that God is at work in your life. He is growing your faith and trust in Him, and He's growing in your love for others. And there's something that happens in us when God's at work where He takes us from being inward-focused to outward-focused, self-focused to others-focused, God and others. And that's an indicator where you know that God's at work in your life. And He says, I've heard that about you. God's doing something. And so because of that, here's what I'm doing. Because of that, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, he says, basically, because I heard all this, I'm praying to God. I've not stopped giving thanks. I'm remembering you in my prayers, and I keep asking God. And he tells us what he's asking. But he says, because of this, this is how I'm praying for you. A lot of the things that happened around that what we see happen, I think, was driven by the fact that the Apostle Paul was someone who's committed to praying for others. He taught others. He went to others. But he prayed for others diligently. I not stopped giving thanks, remembering. How many of us are guilty of saying, telling somebody, I'll pray for you, and then we never do? Paul said, remember. Pray and keep praying. Keep asking. That phrase, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, Here's one thing I would suggest for you. This week as you encounter people, especially people you know, pray for them. And to start off by saying, here's what I'm thankful for. There's a, something that happens when we start by praying, to telling God and others, but especially telling God what we're thankful for about people is it changes the way we see people. 
Because a lot of times we'll start off like, here's the problem I have with you instead of here's how I'm thankful for you. But gratitude and thankfulness changes your perspective on people. It helps you want the best for them, not just see the best in them. And Paul saw something in this group of people in Ephesus as he prayed for them. And he said, I remember you and I keep asking them. I am praying all the time. Well, what is he asking God to do? He says this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I'm asking him to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And that's not like the human spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. God would give them the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, here's what I want for you, that you would know him better. Basically what he's saying, the way I pray for these people, the way I pray for all people, the way we could pray for each other, the way you want people praying for you is this, that they would know God better. That's the starting point. Just like the starting point for for knowing who you are in Christ is starting with knowing who Christ is, not who you are. The starting point for God's plan for others' lives, it starts with knowing him better. What he's not saying is that they would know more about you. The the word know means to experience personally. There's a difference between knowing something and knowing about something. For instance, my friend Mark Porter, who's the executive pastor here at Live Oak, he may be the person in my life who knows the most about World War II. If I was on a a quiz show and there was a World War II-related question, I would ask Mark. He's read books about it. He's watched documentaries. He loves to read books about World War II. He knows stuff about all the, all the different things going on, about espionage, plans, strategy, fails, victories, losses, players. He knows so much about it. He knows about World War II. He doesn't know World War II. He didn't know it personally because he wasn't there. He wasn't even born yet. There's a difference for Mark to know about World War II, to know it personally. But there are still some veterans alive who knew it personally. They experienced the victory of it. They experienced the loss of it. They experienced the pain of it. They experienced the, 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 the everyday details about it. They experienced it personally. There's a difference in knowing about something and knowing something. And Paul says, I want you to know God better. Not know about God more. I want you to know, experience him personally better. For instance, if you're going on vacation this summer at some place you've never been, what you might do is buy a travel book that tells you all about that place, and you read it up and read it up. I've never met someone who's going to someplace exciting who reads the travel book and gets to the end and goes, you know what? I think I know enough about it. I don't need to go. Like, I get it. Like, they've got great beaches and great, great hotels and there's historic landmarks. That's great. I don't think I need to go now. I've never met that person. There's a difference in knowing about something and knowing it personally. Travel agents don't sell travel books. They sell vacations. Or if you go to, a, go to a travel site, sometimes the reason we like to hear people who've been there before is they give us a little more insight than a travel book or the, like the, the website of the hotel or the place might say. So suddenly you go to TripAdvisor and suddenly people tell you, hey, here's my experience when I went there. I didn't like this and I really like this. And it's amazing how you can look at some place and everybody loves it, but one person has a bad experience and you're like, ooh, I don't know. Because their experience, personal, was bad. But you can read all the experiences of people. I've been there. I can tell you what it's like. I'm not paid by the, by, the, by the destination. But I can tell you it's good. Or I can tell you it's bad. It's still no substitute. If this summer you could go to Hawaii or go to TripAdvisor, which would you choose? Hawaii. Don't mind if I do. I think I will in July. Like that, I'm excited about it. And I'm not going to read a travel book and go, I'm good. There's something about experiencing it personally. What Paul is saying is, I don't want you just to read about God. I want you to experience him personally. I don't want you just to know about him. 
I want you to know through personal experience this relationship that's possible here and now in the present. Jesus even said, this is what eternal life is. In John 17, when he's praying, he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I want them to know, experience you personally. Many of us, at many times, have settled to know about rather than know personally. And Paul said, if you want to pray something for others or pray something for yourself, if you want to know how the Apostle Paul was praying for people like us, his prayer is that people would know God better personally. And then he gives us another thing that he prays for people. It goes on in verse 18. It says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. By the way, the word heart, anytime you see the word heart in the Bible, it's this bundle of all the hopes and desires and dreams and plans and the things you want in life, the heart, the center of your kind of will of what you're trying to say, this is what I want for my life. And God wants you to love him with all your heart, which means to give him everything you have, your plans, your hopes, desires, dreams. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart of what you want for your life may be an enlightened, you could see clearly, that you may know the hope to which God, he, has called you. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's not like the way we use hope sometimes, like, man, I really hope Tech has a better football team this year than I think they're going to have. Too soon, or is it too fresh? or like, 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 we use the word hope, like, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out, but I sure hope things go well. I hope, I hope, we'll see, hope that we use it usually means we'll see, I think it might, but I'm not going to get my hopes up, or I think it won't, but maybe there's a shot. Like, we use hope that way. The Bible uses hope means, instead of saying we'll see, it means I believe that, I know that, I'm trusting in, I'm confident in. And he says, I don't want you to have a we'll see kind of faith. I want you to have, I believe it to be true. I'm counting on it. That's what the word hope or belief means. That we would have this hope to which God has called you, planned for you. He said, I'm inviting you into something. That our end is certain. And what I love about what Paul does is exactly what God does in our life. Is he's involved in our past, our present, and our future. And at all times, he's never removes himself from any part of those equations. He wants us to know our hope. He wants us to know that personally. To experience the, not just a we'll see kind of hope, but a, I believe that. The book of Proverbs tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And sometimes we have lost hope and we've had a sick heart. Our, just, our, our, our will, our life just kind of, ugh. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's why God wants to say, let me bring hope into your life. That's the role I want to play. I pray for those around you. Pray for yourself. Have others praying this for you, that they would know the hope personally, experience it, to which God has called you, to what he's planned for you. And then he says there's really one more thing that Paul says he's praying for them, that they would know God personally, that they would know this hope, but also they would know God's power. It says this. He says, and know, and, and the word know isn't in there. It's implied because of where it says earlier that they would know the hope and know his uncomparably great power for us who believe. When we believe and we put our trust and faith in Jesus and he lives his life in us and through us, what he says is there's this power that's available. And I don't want you just to know about it. I want you to know it personally. That you can know God's power. And then he goes on to describe this power in, in the verses that are follow that, 19 and following. It says that power is the, is, the, is the same as the mighty strength he, God, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So what we celebrate on Easter, what happened in the life of Jesus that was alive before the cross, dead on the cross, dead three days in a tomb. It's dead. Jesus is dead, but he's alive because the power of God raises him from the dead. That same power wasn't put in storage. That same power is the power God always has. And he says that it's, it's something that we can know. This mighty strength is something he, we can know that, experience that personally. And he uses that phrase uh, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Heavenly realms, it's the second time Paul has used that in this letter. It's the same place he says where our spiritual blessings are. They're found where every blessing's in the heavenlies. Basically, where Jesus is is where everything starts. With our identity, with his plan, with his work, with his power, it all goes in and through God the Father and God the Son, and we experience because of God the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, kind of explaining about what this, because Jesus is seated there, that's his place of authority. It says this, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present, but also in the one to come. He's talking about the future. Paul says, I want you to know this, because there's nothing like this in this world. There's nothing like this, period, this power that Jesus has. Paul wrote about it to another, another church in Philippi in the book of Philippians. He says this, he says, this is what I want for me, and I want it for you. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I don't want to just read about it and kind of be thankful for it and point to it on Easter. I want to know this personally, not know about, know it. And we're like, yeah, sign me up for that. And Paul also said, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Well, maybe not as many hands go up saying, yeah, I want that on that phrase. But that's what Paul was experiencing. Paul wrote Ephesians, what we're studying this summer, and Philippians and Colossians. He wrote these from prison. And, it, and Paul was frequently get locked up because what he was teaching about Jesus and the difference, the impact that Jesus, Jesus was making through Paul as he built this ch- gathering of people, the church, and they were following and it was disrupting commerce. It was disrupting uh, faith and religion. It was, it, was, it was making a difference in the world. So oftentimes, Paul was locked up behind bars. And he says, I want to experience that. If it means suffering because of Jesus, I'm in. For me, I usually say, if I could avoid that, and can I just get life a little more comfortable? I want that. But there's something that Paul knew when he experienced Jesus personally, and he experienced his hope and power coming from Jesus personally. He said, I'm not going to pray that God changes my circumstances. I'm going to pray that God changes how I think and experience who God is, the hope I have, and the power I don't want the power to set me free. I want the power to change me. That's what I want. And what was amazing is here's Paul who's locked up for his faith, and ultimately the door would not swing open. He would not walk away a free man. Emperor Nero would, would, would take his life. He would behead him and kill him, and he would be a martyr because of what he believed. And Paul said, I count that something I want to participate in if that's what God has planned for me. That's where it's tough for some of us. I want to know Jesus, but not that well. I mean, I want to know him, but sufferings? We, we talked about it in, in, in the, uh, the Struggle is Real series when we're talking about Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And he said struggle is where really God does his best work. But we want him to take away the struggle, not show up and help us experience his grace and power and strength in a unique way. 
But he said, that's where that stuff is made perfect in, my, in, in our weaknesses. That's a tough thing for us. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why would they say this? Because they knew something personally about Jesus. They knew him. They knew their hope that they had regardless of what was happening around them. And they knew God's power personally that the end goal of the power was not to change my circumstances. It was to change me. And then use that to change the people around me. That they could be changed to become more like Christ. That's God's plan for your life. Not to make you suffer, but to help you become more like him. And Paul said, I want them to know that personally. See, what Paul knew is our res- we, you can arrange your life to insulate and protect and make it comfortable and try and distance from things. You can, you can have resources to live a pretty comfortable life. But ultimately, our resources run out, but Jesus does not. And Paul knew that at some point, we all get to the point of where we go, man, I'm at the end of my rope. And God says, well, now I can get to work. That's where we experience Jesus sometimes the best, that he is enough. And so because of that, Paul said this, and back earlier, he says, uh, oh, excuse me. Paul goes on to say this, he introduces this major theme that comes up throughout the rest of the letter. God is at work in your life. He's the starting point for understanding your identity. He's the starting point for understanding that God's plan has for you. Jesus is the starting point. He is the one who does this. But God placed all things under his feet, so he's in charge of all the world, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He introduces this word, ecclesia, this not a building and not a gathering or an event, excuse me, not an event, but a gathering of people. That God is putting together a, a people that would reflect him, that he would lead and put together, which is his body, this imagery that God's putting together a body, and we're all a part of it, that he plays on later and, and kind of uses to illustrate what our role is. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way, that there's something that God does in our life that's incomplete until we're put together with his holy gathering of people. That there's something that he does in your life that is put together with something that he does in your life that when it's all put together, there's the body of Christ that can actually be at work in this world. You are a child of God, but you're not an only child. You're, you're a part of, of what God is doing, but you need to fit together with others in a way and God is the, that, that God can use you, and that happens when we recognize he's in charge. For instance, at this church, like, it's not, this is not, my, I'm not in charge here. The elders aren't in charge here. Jesus, Jesus is the head of his church. So we submit to him and say, God, what is it you have planned for this local church? He's the head of the, of the body. And Paul introduces this theme that he plays on the rest of the way through Ephesians, where he says there's something that happens that God's doing in the world that happens in community. There's something he does together. And so when Paul backs up and he says, I'm praying for them, he goes, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Follow his example. Give thanks for people this week. Look for people, and, and when you, especially people, you know, and let your starting point be saying, do it silently so you don't creep them out. But like, God, this is what I'm thankful for them about. Pray that for your family, for your friends, your, 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 your roommates, people in your class, people in your team, people at your work. Like, don't stop giving thanks for people. Remember them in your prayers. Pray for them, because chances are, if you just kind of pray reactively, a lot of times you're just praying about the pain you're experiencing or the lack of something you don't have or something like that. Like, like pray proactively, praying for people, and keep asking. Don't stop. That's Paul's example. And he prayed for these things, that they would know God personally. Like his father's day, dads, what if we prayed this for our kids every day? 
Like, I pray that my son John would know God personally, not know about him, but he would know him that the God of the universe wants a relationship with him. I want, him for, I want that for him. I want that for my daughter, Gracia, that he would know that his hope isn't what happens around him, but it's what happens because of Christ. And it wouldn't be like, I hope that. It's like, I'm certain. I believe that. And that he would know God's power that is at work in his life. What if, what if we prayed that? What if kids prayed that for their dads? What if we just thought at a young age, hey, you know how, hey, son, you know how you could pray for me? Pray that I would just know God more personally. Pray that I would know that my hope is in him and not in stuff or whatever. Pray that it's, I would know God's power, that he's at work. I would experience it personally. What if we this week just decided, you know those people I'm, I think I need to pray for? I'm, this is what I'm going to pray for them. I'll pray for everything else that's going on in their life too. I want that, but I want them to know God, to know their hope and know God's power. I want them to know that personally, experience it. Because what you need to know is this is God's plan for you. This is not just the starting point. This is the point of it. Knowing God is the point of everything. Knowing Jesus personally, this is his primary goal in your life, that you would know him personally and be part of his family. So this week, Paul prayed this for others. This week, maybe we should pray this for ourselves. Maybe we should pray it for others and have others praying that for us. So let me ask the questions I asked you at the very beginning. Who is it you pray for most often? How often are you praying for them? Paul would say, don't stop giving thanks. Keep remembering. Keep asking. Pray this often. And what exactly are you asking God to do? Whatever it is you're asking God to do, would you be willing to include this in there? And maybe pray it more purposely and intelligent or intentionally this week. You know, Paul prayed for another group, the church in Colossae. It was another church. It was written about the same time as Ephesians probably and also written from jail. And he said, he goes, this is how I'm praying for you. Very similar to the way he prayed for this church. So there you see these consistency in how Paul prayed for churches. He said this, for this reason, so there was something right before that where he said, because of all this is true, here's how I'm praying. Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. This is how Paul prayed. We continually ask, this is how Paul prayed. He kept asking. Continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge, knowing personally, not knowing about, the knowledge of his will or his plan through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Not that we can muster up, not that we can figure out, that God initiates in you. Because when you read the Bible alone, you're not reading the Bible alone. Verse 10, it says this. All that, I'm praying all that so that, here's why. And again, if you want to see it, is God at work in my life? Am I, is he work? This is what should show up. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit, there's evidence in every good work. Growing in the knowledge, not knowing about, knowing personally of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Do you see all, like it's, there's hope, there's knowing God, there's knowing hope, there's knowing power, all in this passage. So that you may have, some of you have prayed for this this week. God, I need patience. I need endurance. I need joy. Here's what he says. That happens, when that happens, God's at work so that, so that you may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. This is what God is doing in your life, or in your life. So our prayers should be saying, I want that for me. I want that for the people around me. God, yes, I want to agree. Amen means I agree. It's like, 
yes, I'll, I'll pray this prayer. As a matter of fact, these might be some great passages to put to your prayers this week. Pray Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 20. Pray Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. And pray that for the people who are around you. But start by saying, God, I pray that I would experience it first. That you would start with me. Not in a selfish way where I'm just going to pray for me because I'm most concerned about me. No, if it's going to start with somebody, it starts with you and your circle of influence. Pray that you would know him personally. You would know your hope. And you would know God's power personally. So God's plan for you could go unhindered. Pray, just join him in what he's doing. Because this is God's plan for you. Let's stand for closing prayer. What I would encourage you to do is, is when I say, who are you praying for? Who's around you? Or if you could pray one prayer for one person, what would you pray? Why don't you just do that right now? Bring someone to mind that you're praying for and pray for them silently as I pray out loud and ask God to help them experience him personally. Then because of that, they would know that they have hope and they would experience God's power personally. Pray for that person right now as I pray for all of us. Heavenly Father, thanks that you love us so much that you've given us life as our creator. You've given us life in you and forgiveness because of your grace and love and mercy because of Jesus at the cross. But God, you've given us your, your holy word, your truth, where you initiated something that we could have something to help us understand who you are and what you've done for us. And God, when we read the Bible alone, help us remember we're not reading the Bible alone. You are with us, that you want to shed light on things. And I pray you would do that as we engage the scriptures this week. And God, we just join you in in what you're doing by praying what Paul prayed for people, that we would be thankful in our prayers for people and we would be continually praying and keep asking that the people around us would know you personally and experience you in such a way that it gives them hope, not in their circumstance, but in their Savior. And they would experience the fact that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that you want to work out in our lives for your good purposes. God, for many of us, we're in a struggle where I have plans for my life and there are things I want. Help me to understand that maybe your plan for me is best and you've got something, you're doing something in my life, and the starting point is understanding who you are and who I am because of that. Jesus, I pray this week we would know you more personally experiencing you in a way we've never experienced you before. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front. Yeah.